Salutations. Welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. This is a Just Some Guy production, and I'm that guy, your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. And today we have a very special guest. Since my very first publication, my published episode in December 28th of 2017 with the Happier Quest, I have never had a live guest where we've been able to have a raw conversation and just enjoy some back and forth blithering. So Dan, uh, Danielson, I, I was thinking of my intro today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one out there, and, and you can share me what share with me what you think about it. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that this is a nice start. Um, welcome. We are just two ones having an in this moment discussion about the classic novel Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. We are by no means any literary experts. We're just two ones. I'm someone, you're someone. And during this pandemic COVID-19 reality, we're trying to think of things that we can do to get through it. And one of the things that you have is a love of reading. And a number of occasions you've been reading something, you shared it with me, and we kind of found ourselves in this kind of like spontaneous book club. And that's kind of what's happening today. I guess we're having either a, <clears throat> we're doing a book review <clears throat> or we're having a conversation about uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. So what do you think about that? The, the idea that we are just two ones. I like that a lot. I, I mean, uh, first off, I just want to say I'm, I'm glad to be uh, with you on the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. I've uh, long been a fan. Uh, so two ones uh, together uh, discussing uh, I, I suppose a novel uh, that is uh, my interpretation based on someone who is uh, a, a single protagonist trying to be uh, one with all, I mm. suppose. Uh, so it's a, an interesting leading for sure. I like it. Okay, well, thank you. Well, so, you know, the, the thing for me during the whole COVID thing has been um, trying to find moments of gratitude. So I, I'd like to say, I'd like to start by sharing uh, that I'm grateful to have you here with me, my friend, my spiritual brother. Thank you. We've had many conversations and uh, I believe the conversation with us is um, ongoing and uh, continuous. So I shared with you a couple of thoughts about how we could uh, in a um, fun way initiate this discussion. And I think the, the first thing I'll, I'll ask is, uh, I often get excited about uh, an idea. Someone shares an idea. I'm like, that would be great on a t-shirt. And I'm thinking maybe we could share with each other our ideas for a t-shirt as it relates to uh, this book. And I'm sure as we have our discussion, we're probably going to flesh out how the t-shirt actually relates to the ongoing unfolding conversation we're about to have. Um, so what kind of ideas do you, or thoughts do you have about a t-shirt that would encapsulate your experience of Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. Okay, well, you mentioned this to me, uh, so um, uh, as any teacher should, I, I did my homework and I thought about it. And uh, what I like most of all in uh, the novel, I suppose, is the aspect of journeying. And uh, within that, uh, a big symbol that Herman Hesse uses is the river. Uh, so I'm going with t-shirt idea, hear the river. I was initially thinking, listen to the river, uh, but I thought here was a little more profound in keeping uh, with what is suggested 
in the novel, a backup, if I will, if I may rather, yes. is uh, I mentioned this to my wife, Jean, uh, yesterday, uh, the idea of a t-shirt idea. And she, the first thing that, that came to her mind was something that I used to say from her time to time early in our courtship. And that was, wear the world like a loose garment. <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of uh, in keeping with uh, what, uh, what themes are uncovered in Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. I like that. Uh, and and I, I think we'll come back to that. So your, your, your first idea was hear the river? Yeah. Yeah. And so like here can have um, uh, two different ways of being understood. So I, I'm thinking you mean uh, H-E-A-R to, to hear the river as, mm. as, as opposed to hear, H-E-R-E, hear mm. the river. Right. Uh, I, I guess in the latter case, there would be a, a, a comma after here, not to get all grammarian on you, uh, I, but uh, <laughs> I enjoy it. But, but but yeah, I'm I'm going with the uh, um, the sensory perception of of actually hearing the river, and I guess I, I went from listen to hear because uh, the river will always make noise, but whether we stop and and actually hear it is a, a different thing. Yeah, it's it's definitely a call to mindfulness. Um, so for me, and, and I'll I'll definitely have to explain these two ideas. Uh, I I came up with the first one. Um, missed opportunities. Uh, and the second one I came up with is uh, based on the idea of the Four Noble Path, uh, the Four Noble Truths, and uh, uh, the last Noble Truth, the cessation of suffering. We have the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment. And, and one of the, uh, the steps would be right view. So my t shirt idea is limited view, the t shirt where there's this idea of limited view. Um, so the other thing that we kind of talked about, and, and all of this already, you kind of, it, it, you feel like you just want to jump into the conversation because there's a whole bunch of threads already. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, the other uh, starting question, uh, just to put out there, we also thought about talking about uh, was the idea in terms of this book, I've read it a number of times. I've revisited throughout my life uh, in my early twenties up to the present. And, and I believe that's the same for you, my friend. Uh, mm -hmm. The idea we, we thought, of course, we might revisit again, but uh, perhaps if it's a book worth reading once and revisiting, maybe it's a book worth sharing. Uh, so in terms of this book, before we even dive into what it's all about, um, who do you think would be uh, someone that you would want to share this book with? So I actually have uh, um, a copy of said book uh, downstairs in a uh, a friend and a restaurant owner, and, and he's um, offered his uh, restaurant up for uh, some friends of ours uh, to gather uh, through the COVID kind of situation. And so I wanted to think of something to uh, show my appreciation. And we've been, we've known each other over 20 years, and, and we've definitely been uh, spiritually minded. And I thought that uh, it's something uh, he would enjoy for sure. And the thing about Siddhartha, it's not very long. You could uh, likely get through it in an afternoon. So once the lockdown is over, I will be delivering Siddhartha to my friend Amir. So um, if you could actually just at the very beginning kind of uh, share again, uh, we glitched. So I lost a lot of it 
um, oh, really? that, that you, had, you, you were offering. So uh, the person that I would, uh, I have in mind uh, someone uh, to give a copy of Siddhartha to, I have it uh, waiting for, uh, to be delivered to my friend, Amir. Okay. Um, uh, so I feel that he is, uh, uh, we're both spiritual questers and uh, I feel that he would definitely appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I guess uh, the wonderful thing about technology is it allows us to have this at a distance conversation, but yet every now and then, um, because the cyber world does what the cyber world does, it, it, it glitches. And so uh, definitely we'll have to be patient. Uh, but uh, thank you. Well, so uh, you really uh, introduced this question. This was your thought about, you know, who, you, who would you give the book to? You had an idea of who you would give the book to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and at one point we had a conversation. And I thought about who I wouldn't give the book to. And in some of our uh, conversations over the files, because we send files to one another, stay connected at a distance. Um, I shared that, you know, if I had a, a, a a child, a, a young daughter uh, that was growing up and towards uh, adulthood and um, yeah. womanhood that I wouldn't be offering that as a, a book for, for her to read. I, I would feel like um, it, it wasn't relatable. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and, and it was interesting because we, we discovered that maybe there could be a whole interesting discussion in a whole other direction. But uh, yeah, I think I would offer it to my sons, uh, Blazing Phoenix and Woodrow, I think it might be something uh, that they could uh, look at and it could become, well, for me, uh, the book is like a mirror for self-reflection. And the more that I uh, read it and engage with it, uh, I, I see it differently. Mm -hmm. And so yep. um, how about we, uh, we get into a discussion about Siddhartha? Sure. And uh, I, I'll just share, I'm just reading from Wikipedia to make it easy for me here. Uh, just a quick introduction to Herman Hess before we do our elevator pitch, as you shared, uh, which you thought would be a good idea to start. So uh, Herman Hess uh, was born July 2nd, 1877 to August 9th, 1962. He was a German-born Swiss novelist and painter. He's best known for the works, uh, which include Damien Steppenwolf and Siddhartha, the glass bead game as well. But we're I'm going to be talking about Siddhartha. So if anyone's more interested in that, please, you can uh, do a, a Google search or go to Wikipedia. But uh, yeah, so this is a classic that we both both read, um, Herman Hess, and uh, you were inspired by Siddhartha that you actually wrote a um, personal essay recently. So um, you wanted to start off with elevator pitches before we get to a dis discussion about your essay. So um, how would you set the scene in terms of what we're talking about in terms of this story? Um, I, I guess uh, to explain it briefly to the uninitiated, uh, it's a, a tale. I, I guess just a bit of background. It, it, it seemed to be popular in the uh, 60s and 70s counterculture. So it was um, another way of, of, of seeing the world uh, from a, and there's Eastern influences uh, in the novel, um, which is suggested by the title for sure. But uh, I, I guess it's a story of uh, someone's, uh, Siddhartha's coming uh, to enlightenment and, and how he gets there. And I thought it was really interesting. And 
the first time I read it, like you, I read it uh, in my early 20s and read it again recently. And the only thing I remembered uh, from it uh, back then was the idea that the spiritual quest does not have to be complicated and that you could uh, simply listen uh, to or follow the lead of a very humble ferryman and uh, you could find enlightenment. And so that's what kind of drew me back into it. And I, I tried to tease out a few more themes uh, from it uh, in the essay that I wrote. And uh, so, yeah, I definitely recommend it to, to people who are, uh, you know, interested in, uh, you know, finding a little more meaning in their life, perhaps, I guess. So uh, if you haven't read it, I suggest you read it. My suggestion, my humble suggestion. Yeah, so um, for me as well, uh, I, I read it in, in my youth, my young adult years. And uh, I seen it as a, like a very romantic lone wolf tale. It was very attractive mm -hmm. to me in that sense. Uh, I, I felt a real call to adventure. You know, back then, I guess I was kind of looking for truth, wisdom, and enlightenment. And this story for me is about a uh, young soul. You know, if we're going to talk about uh, the spiritual journey, the quest, like, do, do I, you know, reach uh, for this thing called salvation? Or do I reach for this thing called enlightenment? Uh, the, the main character, the protagonist, seemed to be drawn to this thing called enlightenment. And, and I, I could relate to that. And uh, I, I feel in my younger youth, uh, the orient, the focus for me was more the beginning of the book in the middle of the book as he experiences this uh, thing called samsara and uh, the idea of hedonism. I almost felt like it was a, a permission to embrace a principle of hedonism for a while because it was essential for the spiritual journey. How convenient and wonderful for me. Um, and interestingly, though, uh, as I've revisited this book, and I, as I shared, I see it as a mirror for self-reflection. Um, and I don't know if this is fair, right? I, I don't know if it's fair, but I, I do see it a little bit more of a tragedy now. And mm -hmm. I, I've arrived at a point in my life where I definitely have more of a, uh, an appreciation and a recognition about the uh, necessity of relationship. And so I've moved away from this, I guess, the, the, the pursuit of truth. Um, and I'm, I'm embracing more of a ethic of care and connection. And for me, and I shared this, and, and you said that you weren't as necessarily uh, as aware of this. Um, it didn't strike you as much. But I, I almost think that in a sense, uh, Siddhartha could be a candidate for Camus' absurd hero. Uh, I see that uh, Siddhartha is standing on the precipice and uh, he has this kind of lone wolf, you know, do it, do it by himself. He's a, according to the book, he's self-willed, uh, he's individualistic and, he, and he's very cerebral. And uh, I feel like um, there are some things like we, I don't think it's fair to criticize him for his journey. The, the, each of our journeys are different. But I, but I feel, and we'll get back to that, that uh, there were some missed opportunities and the, and the character had some limited views that uh, prevented him from recognizing that you could possibly arrive at this place called enlightenment um, through the relationships that we have with people. And uh, it's not something that we have to do alone, even though it is very much an inward experience. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm gonna throw on the table, uh, Daniel San. Yeah, I, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I mean, the in the essay that I wrote, the thread that I try to pull through uh, my interpretation of the novel is that uh, he, he's trying to get to eternity uh, and that is uh, enlightenment. And, and so existing in a place out of time. And so, so he, uh, he, in a sense, uh, disregards all his relationships and, and and like you said he he does become a lone wolf and uh, the way I interpret it uh, in the essay that I wrote is is that he uh, by undoing all his relationships he he's able to uh, be in a place out of time and, and find salvation and, and the other I, I was actually rereading um, some of the the, uh, the book last night, and I noticed in, in the first chapter there's there's a lot of references to shadows and shade, and um, uh, so the, the, this idea that you know you can only have shadow and shade uh, along in in a linear timescape kind of thing, and, and so the idea of you know him leaving home and, and moving away from shadow into the eternal present of a, of a moment. And and I was actually I was just rereading my essay uh, this morning, and and I I don't, I don't know how accessible it is. <laughs> I know uh, my wife is my chief editor, and I was very cautious about passing it to her uh, because uh, it, it seemed like I was kind of wrestling with with these ideas and and, and trying to communicate those ideas uh, can be a challenge for sure for sure. But I, I loved you know, the exercise of it, of, of trying to interpret the book mm -hmm. uh, in the way that, that I did. Which is, and it's great to talk about it with you, for sure. Yeah, so the idea of you can talk about the Tao, but not the eternal Tao, that, you know, once we uh, mm. try to put the, the mystical peak experience uh, into words, something is lost, which is something that Siddhartha struggles with in, in the book itself, right? In terms mm -hmm. of he, he meets the Buddha, at one point and, and recognizes the, the smile and the calmness and everything about uh, the Buddha is an embodiment of this enlightenment that he's searching for. But he arrives at this point where, you know, he needs to do it himself. And mm -hmm. uh, that, that would be one of, if, if, you know, the young Siddhartha was here, that might be one of my cautions I would share with him. Um, but uh, you talked about him wanting to get to that eternal moment and that like outside of time in a sense. And I guess that's the call to mindfulness. And there was one, and, and it seemed like uh, time was something that uh, he had to definitely, as you're sharing, transcend because at, at another point in the book, it actually got the better of him. And uh, I, I've just always been taken by this one um, paragraph uh, in the book. It's uh, in the chapter entitled Samsara, and it's on page 78 of my copy. And it just says, like a veil, like a thin mist, a weariness settled on Siddhartha, slowly, every day a little thicker, every month a little darker, every year a little heavier. As a new dress grows old with time, loses its bright color, becomes stained and creased, the hems frayed, and here and there weak and threadbare places, so had Siddhartha's new life, which had begun after his parting with Govinda, become old. In the same way, it lost its color and sheen with the passing of the years. This idea that it 
uh, caught up to him uh, slowly. And then it goes on to say, in the same way it lost its color and sheen with the passing of the years, creases and stains accumulated and hidden in the depths here and there already appearing way to disillusionment and nausea. So yeah, I uh, also highlight this paragraph because I had mentioned to you that uh, at this point going forward, there was a number of times I became aware of this idea of uh, nausea, which uh, rem no. reminds me of uh, Sartre in, in terms of uh, the book that he wrote many moons ago as well, uh, that uh, the world of, of hedonism wasn't sitting well with him. He, was, he wasn't good with himself. He, he wasn't healthy with himself and he had to do something to uh, reclaim himself. And uh, so I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm also attracted to this book because I feel in life, um, if, if someone was to say, well, what's the book about? I believe it's about a young person trying to find uh, himself, enlightenment and transcend self. And uh, that uh, this is um, in this case uh, with, with the nausea that he's, he's feeling, he's at a point where he has to find himself again. And it's, it's a perpetual finding yourself again. And yeah, it, it kind of, uh, if, if I may uh, jump in here, um, I, I'm just thinking about, like, I, I kind of I made note of kind of important terms kind of thing, and one of them being uh, Maya. Uh, so what I understand Maya to be uh, in a Buddhist context is, is deceit and, and the abilities of, of gods to unfurl a veil uh, in, uh, for humans and and. and I don't know, like you mentioned in that quotation, in that quotation, there was the word veil. And, you know, so, so things are illusory. And, uh, you know, how, how do you get beyond uh, that illusion? And, and that might kind of tie into that which you just shared from um, the, that was the Samsara chapter, I believe, right? Yes, yes. And then Samsara being, um, you know, the, the circle of, of life and death kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it definitely is, is the kind of book that gives you pause for thought. A lot of thought. I mean, there's, there's so much, so many directions you can go in, in this little book for sure. And, and so having shared that, like there's so many directions we can go. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity um, to take me in a direction, if you'd like, and then uh, perhaps I would uh, take the opportunity to take you in a direction. Sure. Uh, and so I, I was just uh, like before preparing for this, uh, our session here, I, I was thinking, uh, so I'll start with the quote. I think that's, uh, so the quote that I found, uh, I don't know what chapter it's from, but it's uh, wisdom cannot be imparted. A wisdom that a wise man attempts to impart always sounds like foolish, foolishness to someone else. Knowledge can be communicated, but not wisdom. One can find it, live it, do wonders through it, but one cannot communicate and teach it. And, and so you kind of hinted at this uh, before. Um, I don't know how, I don't remember, but I, I think you did. But, but the idea that, uh, you know, one must uh, go on the journey alone. And then, so you had mentioned that, you know, your sons, this would be a, a good gift for them. Uh, and then you also mentioned the context of justification for uh, hedonism. So I, I think there's also a, a cautionary element uh, to the, this book. And that, um, so, I mean, Siddhartha realizes that 
you know, I, I don't need uh, the wisdom. I don't need the knowledge of the Brahmins. I don't really care about what the Buddha has to say. Uh, so I'm going to leave, lead my hedonistic life of, you know, lovemaking and um, making lots of money for a while and then realizing that that doesn't cut it either. And so, I, and then still at the end, I, I'm not really interested in gaining knowledge. And so the last, and so going back perhaps to my t-shirt uh, idea is uh, he's instructed just to hear, listen to the river or hear the river. And, and that's where you will find your answers. And that's where he achieves enlightenment whether it's wisdom or not uh, that may just complicate the matters but but he has that moment of uh, being unified with all things and he shares that with Govinda so that's I like that I think like we've kind of come full circle for me as well in terms of the t-shirt reference uh, this idea of wisdom and you know I feel once again uh, that I would caution him um, on his thought about the way that we get to experience and discover wisdom. Uh, I feel like he's uh, perhaps losing a little bit of sight of the scaffolding that was provided by his father and uh, the ascetic experience, like the thinking, fasting, waiting, these tools that were provided to him. Uh, they, it was part of the instructions or was part of the, the rituals that he went through. And I feel like in terms of uh, wisdom that uh, he, he could have, he could have also had an opportunity to experience that there could have been a, a setting for it, an opportunity and atmosphere for it. If he had actually stayed with the Buddha. Now I'm not suggesting that staying with the Buddha would have been the right thing. I'm just, I would just challenge him that his thought that he couldn't have discovered or experienced it with the Buddha wasn't possible. That's what it would have challenged in terms of him making his decision to follow his path. I mean, we are all driving our own buses. Um, so for me, going back to the t-shirt idea, I would, uh, I would share the idea with, with him if we were able to have that discussion about missed opportunities and a limited view about how you can experience and discover this thing called wisdom. It seems like he was throughout the book uh, looking for happiness after his very deep dive into hedonism, he asked himself, when was the last time that I had been happy when he uh, has his encounter at the end with Kamala uh, after she was bitten uh, by the snake. Um, she asked him, you know, have you found peace? And then looking into his eyes, she's like, I know you have. Um, so these are things that we are all struggling with, with, with the, the need for peace, with um, the need for uh, happiness and enlightenment. And I feel that because he took this kind of rugged Western individualistic path towards uh, enlightenment that he lost. Uh, there's a part of me that thought the, the, the story could have ended differently. There was a part in the story where Kamala was really interested in maybe a new chapter. And she was uh, had this, this sense that she wanted to go and, and meet the, the Buddha. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, Siddhartha at the end, he has this, this, kind of absurd experience where you know his dad wants him but then he goes out into the world and then when he's out in the world he wants his son and then his son goes out into the world and uh so every no one's getting what they want here and i kind of feel like you know hey maybe we won't all get what we want but maybe we get a little bit closer and i just thought what would it have looked like if in that moment he had said to kamala huh you know what this this hedonism this this deep dive into just uh 
the the pleasure principle, the, the way of living with through the senses. It's not working with me. You're wanting some change. I'm wanting some change. Hey, you know what? Like I've never felt more connected to anyone else than you. Why don't we go on this together? And they almost you almost wonder could they have then at a certain point had a child uh, and 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 together raised this child and had a completely different experience. And that's why for me, um, him. Uh, being with the river and with himself at the end of the story is still nonetheless a little bit of a tragedy because I feel like he missed some opportunities along the way. When I was younger and I was attracted to this story, in many ways, I wanted to be Siddhartha. And now I'm happily uh, okay with the fact that my path seems to be uh, different than the path that he has embraced. Right, Yeah. And I, I guess similar to that is, is, I mean, going into spiritual matters alone is uh, fraught with peril for sure. <laughs> I mean, and, and so, I mean, in this story, it's, he comes to enlightenment pretty much on his own. I mean, he's not, the ferryman doesn't say much. He just says, go listen to the river. And so he does that. And, uh, but, but I, I, I don't know. Do we want to bring in, uh, you know, Hess's um, uh, background and and the little that I did discover about Hess is, is I mean, he struggled uh, like even as a child struggled with mental health issues and uh, there was a suicide attempt and and so he was obviously someone uh, who was who was searching and and, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize for literature in '46, I believe it was. And, you know, so is it, you know, is this book, you know, a, a cathartic thing? And I could be wrong, but, but I think he, in the middle of writing this is, is when he had his suicide attempt. Again, I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but, you know, how, how can it not be informed by, you know, the experience he was having in his life and, you know, having lived through the, the Nazis and, and he lost a lot of friends because he was, uh, anti-nationalist and so a lot of challenges there and, and you know is this book uh, a way to cope with you know the struggles of his life I suppose and and I mean if that is the case if, if it, it's like um, autobiographical and it's a cathartic opportunity um, in terms of those uh, challenges that life present uh, in a sense, it's almost an invitation um, from Herman Hess to, to us um, uh, to write our own stories, uh, maybe during these difficult COVID-19 times uh, for a, a cathartic opportunity. And, you know, I would agree that, you know, he, he, was, he was probably right. When we write, we write about ourselves. We write our lives. We write what we know. And uh, that's why I offer some of my thoughts with, with cautions as, as if I was talking to a Siddhartha that uh, was was not just uh, a, a creation of someone else's writing, but if it was a person in this world, and it was having interactions, um, the the value to me uh, during the this difficult COVID nine time is how the book is um, for me a mirror, whereas for uh, Herman Hess, as you're identifying, it was like a cathartic and a experiential opportunity for him to kind of uh, reclaim his life, and and so both of those. Uh, are really interesting discussion points with threads that go in different directions. 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in this book. Um, so I, I sense that we're probably running out of time. So I'll just, in terms of one of the directions uh, I wanted to go, I, I shared it initially connecting it with my teacher. I also wanted to say just from a positive psychology perspective, right? If we're saying, you know, in terms of uh, pursuing happiness, you know, feeding and extinguishing the fire of happiness, like what are the things, if I do these things, they will allow me to be happy, um, this book is really a, an opportunity to reflect on some of the things that we think might help us be happy, but in, in the end might not allow us to be happy. And that would be uh, the idea of looking for happiness in the external things of this world. And, you know, we, we see Siddhartha in that chapter on samsara having everything that a, a person might think that they would want, like wealth and a mango garden and uh, servants and a comfortable place and good food and, and so much money that if he lost it, it wasn't a concern. He would just make more. It was like a replenishable resource for him. And yet there came to a point where he no longer wanted to be in this world. And so I find that uh, this is a really interesting way of kind of looking at that idea of like, what what's the thing that could possibly make me happy? And uh, Siddhartha might be sharing with with a, a voice at the modern table. Yeah, you know, if it's a, if you're if you're pursuing things like from my experience, that's not going to work. Um, what we do need is is relationship, and we find that he was most happiest when he was with Kamala. He was most happiest uh, when he was with Govinda. He was most happiest when he had those encounters with his son. And the the book leaves us wondering what. Um, the uh, going forward might look like because uh, even though Govinda, his friend that came back to him at the end, might be going in a different direction, uh, we don't know that. It almost it's, it's not a, a a for sure thing in terms of that direction. So yeah, I was like you know in terms of the things that would would make me happy, um, uh, there's the idea uh, perma you know positive emotion engagement re relationship. Uh, meaning and, and achievement. I think that uh, Siddhartha would be telling us, you know, don't forget to have meaningful relationships with other people where you are highly engaged and they give you an opportunity to feel like a positive connection with others. So I just wanted uh, to put that on the table. Yeah. And, and I guess that's where this, this story fails. Right? I mean, he, he gives up on all his relationships. So it's, I don't know. It, it doesn't. Does it fit into into that that idea of happiness is achieved through community, as what you seem to be suggesting suggesting rather? So yeah, I mean, I think community is big, but I, I, at the end of the day, if there is a relationship and it is an authentic relationship, you know, mm -hmm. that is definitely you know feeding the the fire of happiness, and and it seems like at the end. Uh, we have them sitting in this moment uh, together, uh, Siddhartha and Govinda. And so we're not necessarily sure. Th does there become once again, two ferrymen? Um, like when uh, Siddhartha uh, joined the, uh, the original ferryman uh, mm -hmm. to carry people across the river. So, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, as, as I become mindful of time, it's like, wow, they're, they're really uh, 40 minutes is not enough to talk about uh, the depth of this book that's yeah. only like 200 pages long. <laughs> yes. 
And should we go for our part two sometime? Yeah, we should go for a part two, uh, definitely. And uh, we're working out the glitches with technology, and you know that's uh, that's part of the process. But perhaps uh, we might want to end with a, a quick little uh, sharing with one another of our upcoming learning projects. So in episode fifty-eight, uh, the self-care self-assessment, I talked about things that. You know, if I'm not doing them, they would indicate to me that I'm, I'm not on track for uh, taking care of myself. And one of them was that uh, I need to be engaged in some kind of learning project. So at this point, um, what uh, new learning projects do you have on the horizon? You, you, and well, in the show notes, uh, I'm hoping to attach your, your essay that you wrote about Siddhartha for people to become aware of it. And there was also a, a link that you shared with me where people could... Uh, get a uh, copy of Siddhartha for free over the internet. So I'd like to include those in the show notes, but um, what new learning project are you exploring or looking at, Danielson? So I, I read um, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment uh, recently. And so I'm thinking of uh, doing a deep dive into that and uh, writing an essay about that. So that's one thing. And um, I, I guess just, you know, I, I have particular goals for how many books I want to read in 2021. And uh, I like the idea of re reviewing every book uh, that I read, uh, just to engage more with the different books, etc. cetera. Uh, so those are kind of two things. And then also I, I did order, we've talked about this in our voice files, uh, uh, Sean uh, mentioned that um, that work-life balance uh, book. So I have that on order and uh, I will be, uh, what am I? Uh, I have uh, five more weeks and then I'm on my annual leave. Uh, so what better time to examine my work-life balance uh, while I'm on leave? So I look forward to that. And uh, oh yeah, and one more thing, if, if I have time, is yeah. uh, uh, I'm just thinking about ways to uh, engage uh, my students and, and get them enthusiastic about reading. That's not just one learning pro project. That's a bunch. Yeah, and 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 it's probably going to be helpful <laughs> because uh, we don't know how long we'll be sitting in this um, lockdown reality. Uh, yeah. it's, it's important to have a bunch of different pursuits, especially when we're kind of homebound and and we we need to kind of shake things up as we sit in the same space. Uh, for me, okay. yes. um, my uh, next learning uh, project will focus on uh, continuing to read and digest and synthesize uh, ideas related to this book called Generations, 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 The History of America's Future, 1584 to 2069 by William Strauss and Neil Howe. It uh, is giving a, a framework, um, a rigorous framework for understanding generations and then it makes some kind of predictions about what it looks like going forward with generations in terms of the cycle of uh, secular crises um, and you know 90 years later finding ourselves in a point of secular crises once again with a, a different constellation of generations that are overlapping and uh, in between them uh, periods of spiritual renewal so I find this really fascinating because in a sense, if I'm understanding the book correctly right now, according to this, we are in a period of secular crisis 
And that is definitely not something exciting to think about, um, having it unfold right now. And I'm imagining, you know, political polarizations and the COVID-19 reality would all play a part in that. What does become exciting is the thought that in the future, um, my, my children, my children's children might be a part of this spiritual renewal that I can't even conceptualize what it would look like. Um, but it's uh, coming according to the, uh, the ideas and the framework presented in this book. And so um, that's something that I find wow. quite exciting. And, and, and I'm going to possibly be exploring how, while we all collectively experience this COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic, this reality, um, does it, is it experientially different for different generations at different stages of life in terms of, you know, um, childhood and then uh, active adulthood and then, then midlife and then our elder years. And uh, so, yeah, we're all experiencing it, um, but we'll all have different ideas of befores and afters because our befores might be shorter reference periods than others because they have a longer lifespan. And so um, I just, uh, I'm finding it pretty interesting and exciting, even though I do believe um, it's fair to have a critique about whether or not we should even be talking about these things called general uh, generations. And, and why is that? Well, there, there's some people that are skeptical about the idea, the conception of a, a generation in terms of that uh, with the changing technology, uh, the, the idea that, you know, when does a generation begin and end? And some people mm, in this right. generation might feel like they were, should have been more rightly included in a different generation because of where the endpoints are. And uh, so I, I think all that's fair, um, mm -hmm. but I'm still wondering if there might be some uh, relative uh, experience that people, you know, from what we might call a cohort, uh, all experience and that somehow it collectively shapes the way they see or experience the world. I kind of find that fascinating. And if it's a, if it's a dead unfair premise, then I guess I'll discover that it's a dead unfair premise, but I, I believe that uh, maybe there could be something to it. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, it's only slightly limited by, you know, definitions of what each cohort is and then kind of you accept that and then kind of move on is one way of proceeding with it. I guess, I don't know if I articulated myself clearly on that. Yeah, no. But like, I, I mean, there will always be people. Yeah, there will always, always be people. Yeah. Always be people that, um, you know, dispute, you know, the, you know, 1986 to, you know, whatever date, you know. I mean, it, it's, it's rigorous and arbitrary to a certain degree of, of having a, a generation defined by, by years, but it, it's useful, sure. Yeah, so, and, and that's what I like. I'd like to embrace that thought that you shared that definitely we should always um, have questions and discussion and maybe uh, be a little skeptical, uh, healthy skepticism, but, it, you know, could there be something of use or value? And For sure. uh, what yeah. might that be? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've kind of talked about uh, our thoughts or I guess our experiences, how we experienced uh, Siddhartha. Uh, we kind of shared some of our thoughts about our upcoming uh, learning projects. Uh, perhaps lastly, uh, just to share with listeners um, some resources that you're using currently uh, 
in terms of uh, things that you're putting in your happiness or spiritual toolbox to help you during these difficult times? Are there any uh, podcasts that you might be listening to that you'd like to refer or different resources that you've been tapping into? Um, I, well, I'm a regular listener of the Hopeful Humanist Cafe, for sure. <laughs> uh, no, just uh, uh, I don't want it, this to sound like a, a plug or anything. Maybe it is. It is a plug. But uh, I really enjoyed your uh, your last uh, episode on the, um, you know, the audio experimentation. I really dug that a lot. And uh, I hope to hear more on the Hopeful Humanist Cafe uh, but uh, I, I, I guess other podcasts I listen to are uh, BBC in our time. Uh, so there are a lot of really good uh, historical perspectives in that. And uh, Melvin Bragg has, you know, three or four academics talking about Napoleon or whatever historical figure. And then uh, CBC Ideas, of course. And uh, actually, I, I haven't uh, I've gotten away from podcasts. And uh, my uh, one of my chief COVID uh, coping um, hobbies is audiobooks. So I always have at least one audiobook on the go. I plug in, I go for long walks, and that's my big uh, coping strategy. So less podcasts, more audiobooks, I guess. Yeah, no, I am I, enjoying the audiobooks as well. Um, uh, for me, uh, two that I have been checking out, like I, I very do much enjoy the uh, stuff you should know. A podcast, uh, but I've also been listening to the 10, 10% Happier with Dan Harris and uh, the uh, Psychology Podcast um, that is from Scott Barry Kaufman. Um, so they, they have some wonderful gifts, uh, guests and they talk about mindfulness and different things we can do to build resiliency. Um, but yeah, you had mentioned my last episode and yeah, the, the hopeful humanist, the goal really is to share resources with people. But at the same time, I am fascinated with this idea of creativity and trying to do things that will encourage other people to be creative. And I guess, you, you know, from one angle, from one take, you could say that my last episode was a little, quote unquote, weird or a little bit different or a little bit eccentric. Um, I'd like to think it was a little bit more in the vein of, you know, uh, an artistic endeavor and I have lots of fun with those and and I'm hoping that uh, as strange as some listeners might uh, find uh, those odd ones that I throw out there um, stick around the the most of my meat and potatoes is the the different resources a person could put in their spiritual toolbox but yeah it, it was really fun I felt like uh, that was uh, something for for me to be proud of but I also as I was uh Preparing it, I, 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 I was aware that it might be seen as a little bit strange, different, or weird. <laughs> I loved it. And uh, it, it's funny because uh, your son was playing a song on the piano. And, and the, the song I've heard a hundred times, and I could not place it. I'm thinking, is that a classical piece? Is that, uh, what is it? And then when I discovered what it was, I'm like, ah, that's what it is. <laughs> So it's nice that you uh, have uh, accompaniment uh, with your sons on your podcast as well. That's fantastic. Well, I, let's let's be honest. My only my accompaniment is not only my sons, but uh, Captain Jack and uh, Daniel's son have been very much a part of uh, my different uh, creations uh, on the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. And like for me, this really is an epic uh, 
moment. This is a memorable moment. My first guest on the Hopeful Humans Cafe. It was fun. And I, I think that if we do this uh, more, we're going to get even better at it, become even more comfortable with it. And For sure. uh, I'm looking forward to that. If, if that's something that you're open to, Daniel San. Sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, uh, I started with a moment of gratitude. I want to end with a moment of gratitude. Thank you for joining me at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. Thank you for this tip of the iceberg conversation. I'm sure we both agree that uh, there's, there's so much more uh, that we could have done with our discussion about Siddhartha, so many different threads to pull. Uh, the, the conversation is ongoing and continuous. And I look forward to our next discussion, whenever that might be. So thank you, uh, Daniel Sun, for joining me. Thank you, Steve. Peace, take care, be well, and share. <laughs>